This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob Komsik for Libby's Nimer. You'll learn about a private member's bill at Queen's Park that would keep senior couples together in long-term care homes. Waterloo MPP Catherine Fife will explain the so-called Till Death Do Us Part Act. Then, a study finds not enough home care is the top concern for Ontario patients who took part in a recent study. Lead investigator, family physician, and St. Michael's Hospital scientist, Dr. Tara Kieran, will go over the findings. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The rate of Americans dying from cancer continued to decline for the 26th year in a row. And a new report by the American Cancer Society says the largest single-year drop in overall cancer deaths was from 2016 to 17, with a sharp decline in lung cancer deaths, which is still the leading cause of cancer deaths south of the border. Death rates also declined for lung, breast, prostate, and colorectal cancers. Researchers credit a reduction in smoking and improvements in treatment. Move over, millennials and Gen Xers. Zoomers are flocking to video games. More than 10 million Americans, 50 and older, have become active gamers the past three years. The American Association of Retired Persons, the U.S. version of CARP, Reports 40 million seniors were active gamers in 2016 and ballooned to 51 million last year. The survey says the rise in older gamers is fueled in part because of grandparents wanting to spend more quality time with their grandkids and also for the intellectual challenge. 98-year-old Maureen Kornfeld is at the peak of her career. Around the pool, they call her Mighty Mo, who's become a legend in Pasadena, California, where she trains. The senior did not start competitive swimming until she was 65. And now, just shy of 100, Mo has earned 14 world championship gold medals and set 28 world records. She's enjoying training with other seniors. What I like about um, the team is seeing them starting from little or nothing into becoming quite accomplished, and that's really neat. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby's Nimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Politicians at Queen's Park plan to consider a private member's bill that would ensure couples continue to live together in long-term care homes, even if their care needs are different. Waterloo New Democrat Catherine Fife is behind the proposal. Obviously, MPPs from across the province uh, deal with the issue of long-term care and having access to those those beds on a regular basis. For me in Waterloo, there was a number of cases that came forward beginning back in 2015-16. And one couple in particular who had been married for 62 years uh, were separated and they were not able to get into the same home. Um, and, you know, the the 
the fellow came in to speak with me, his daughter brought him in and, you know, he said, I took an oath of, of marriage till death do us part. And I had every intention of upholding that oath. And, you know, he started crying, his daughter started crying, I started crying. And, and I think at the end of the day, I didn't realize as a, as a politician, as a legislator, that the long-term care system was so cruel. And I don't mean to say that it was designed to be cruel, but there has been a serious lack of investment and forethought into what kind of system we want to build in the province of Ontario to make sure that seniors live their, their last years with dignity. And so this started the research and, and started learning about the system and, um, and really, you know, having people tell me their stories and then bring it to the floor of the legislature this past December. Let's bring everyone up to date. Just how far has your bill gotten and how much more is there to go? And it appears as if you have support from the governing conservatives anyway. Yeah, so the debate happened just prior to Christmas, the last day of the legislature, um, and it's Bill 153, the Till Death Do Us Part Act. It passed second reading uh, with unanimous support in the entire legislature. Uh, the bill has been referred to the Justice Committee. Now, it is true that private members' bills, it, it takes a lot of energy to get the government to listen and to take action, um, but I'm feeling optimistic, Bob, because uh, so many of the conservative members and liberal members, you know, spoke to the fact that, you know, this is, these are issues that have reached a tipping point. And so you, it's, you can't ignore that the long-term care system is in crisis. And so, uh, people from across the country and and just a couple yesterday who reached out to me who had been married 72 years and are separated. Um, you know, these these are the voices that are going to carry the day and we have a petition. Uh, you have a commitment from me as a legislator for over the next two and a half years to try to get the Ford government to act. Uh, and there's a, there's a compelling economic and financial argument as well uh, that I tried to make uh, to the Treasury Board President during the debate is that, you know, at $842 a day in a hospital bed where many seniors are waiting for long-term care beds, those long-term care beds cost $126 a day. So we, you know, the government of the day, Mr. Ford and his government have been re-announcing liberal beds for about a year and a half now. Uh, my, my case and the case that the New Democrats are making to the PCs is that, you know, we can't afford to to not take action. This long-term care connects the entire healthcare system as a whole. We won't address hallway medicine until we ensure that uh, you know seniors are uh, you know find a, a healthy quality level of care in a long-term care facility. So this is really aimed the bill not only at changing things but to shine a light on a much bigger issue. Absolutely. I mean, and, and it truly is a litmus test. And so there will be people who say, well, we can't do this because there's not enough beds. That's, that's not a solution. I mean, we, if we can agree from a, a, you know, from a principled position that separating couples who have been married for 40, 50, 60 years uh, is wrong, then let's not continue to build a system that allows that to happen. And so, uh, you know, <laughs> the financial, uh, the, unfortunately, the financial argument was probably the one that will carry the day uh, because, you know, the three acute hospitals in Ottawa, for instance, they're spending $1.8 million a week uh, ensuring that seniors have beds in hospitals instead of long-term care. So it's not financially sustainable for us to continue down this path. We have to 
you know, build this concept of care campuses where if you have seniors who have been married, and of course they do not age at the same rate, uh, some people need retirement, some need assisted living, sometimes a dementia unit is is needed. We we need to start thinking holistically and and from a healthy perspective of what's, what's in the best interest of seniors. And so we have proposed care campuses. So, you know, in my case uh, with Jim McLeod here in in Waterloo, he drives 14 kilometers every day to see his wife in a retirement facility. There are retirement, um, there are retirement facilities, uh, in the campus that he's on, but that the funding and the financial investment has not kept pace with an aging demographic. So I've tried to make, I've tried to make a compelling argument to the Treasury Board President that we need to accelerate this investment and fast track these applications that are in the ministry right now. The government tells us that it takes three years to build a bed. Uh, we have a number of not-for-profit, uh, facilities in Waterloo Region who have applications in right now to the ministry. Uh, there's a a huge amount of red tape uh, and regulations that um, you know that that these institutions have to prove to the government that they can do that. You know these are these are organizations that have a proven track record. They know how to build uh, compassionate and quality healthcare units, and for some reason those applications have hit a roadblock uh, with this government. And so there's a number of solutions that certainly have to be in play, uh, but. You know, when I, when I tell you that because of the population of folks, of people age 75 and over has increased by 20%, the funding for long-term care over that period, over the last uh, 10 years, has only increased by 0.8%. So really it is about priorities. And so, you know, there are ethical and moral, uh, considerations to ensure that seniors can live out their last years together. But there's also a compelling economic and financial argument that if you want to ensure that the healthcare system is operating uh, as, a, as a whole and that people receive care in good time, then having 267 seniors sit in hospital beds instead of a quality long-term care facility uh, where, where the system is tailored to their needs uh, really doesn't make any sense. We have to make sure the government hears that argument. Waterloo Democrat MPP Catherine Fife. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby's Nimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. More than 700 patients who'd been admitted to Ontario hospitals the past three years were part of a local study that aimed to learn what affected their experience during their discharge and transition to home. Family physician and St. Michael's Hospital researcher Dr. Tara Kieran hopes the findings result in improvements in the transition navigated by more than a million patients every year in Ontario. I think a lot of times um, in healthcare, when we are looking to improve things, we often rely on um, some of the, you know, usual things that are easy to measure. We know that. When patients are transitioning from the hospital to home, it's a really tricky time for them. They often are um, diagnosed with new conditions. They have new medications. They have a change in the way they function. You know, there's an intensive kind of care environment that they're going from, and then they're going home where that intensity of care may not be there. And so we know that we need to do better in that time. And But often the way that we were measuring how we're doing better was just through kind of these pretty crude metrics of like, were people going back to emergency department? Were they being readmitted to hospitals? And I really wanted to help us to focus our improvement efforts, though, instead of on those metrics, 
on understanding what was important to patients and focusing on improving specifically those areas that affected their experience that they said were important. So we asked patients and caregivers from across Ontario, you know, what affected their transition from the hospital to home, and then which of these areas they would prioritize um, the health system improving. The most important gap was um, not enough publicly funded home care services to meet the need. The second uh, highest gap with home care support not in place when they arrived home from hospital. And the third highest ranked gap related to having to advocate to get enough home care. So all three priority areas all related to home care. We saw that the findings in terms of prioritizing home care need actually rang true for lots of different types of people. So people from lots of different groups of people consistently prioritize not enough home care to meet the need as the number one priority that we need to focus on. You know, we, we started doing this work from an improvement angle. How, how can we improve? And when we think about improvement, often we think about the things that are, you know, within the healthcare system currently. Um, and so, you know, how could I, you know, do my discharge planning better, for example? Whereas I think the findings of the study force us to even take a step further back to say, you know, have we actually even funded the healthcare services in the way that they should be. And so maybe the problem is bigger than what a single provider can address in an organization. And it's one that's a public conversation and the government kind of needs to think about around how we pay for, are we paying enough for home care and what is the level of service that everyone should be able to expect. You've got the government saying, thanks for the findings. We know this already. So what are you hoping the government does with it? In terms of what the government can do, I think what this does is, again, although um, it's true that I think there have been lots of reports in the past about um, uh, the difficulty in the transition and particularly the importance of home care, it's important, I think, to consist this study. What this study does is it, again, raises our attention to this issue. And I think it's important for us not to lose focus on it. And as I said before, I think you know, when I think it's easy for people to start to focus on things, to continue to focus on things like let's reduce emergency department visit rates and let's reduce readmissions um, without like, let's measure actually the time that people have to wait between when they leave hospital and home care is received. Let's do a better job actually measuring um, whether people feel that they're actually getting the home care support that they need. So partly what I want is for us to um, shift our improvement focus to what these priorities that patients, what patients and caregivers said were our, the priority areas uh, for them, and then start to measure against them. And then, you know, the government has is launching these new Ontario health teams. Those Ontario health teams have the opportunity then to um, potentially within their budget portfolio uh, even rearrange resources so that it's addressing some of these gaps. However, I think the bigger thing that the government needs to probably struggle with is, you know, to what degree do we need to even increase public spending on home care even further? Um, so right now we pay 100% for hospital and physician visits, um, but we know that there are gaps in our Medicare system. We don't pay for drugs and we don't pay for all of the home care services people need yet people expect the home care services to be there. And so I think that's something that we need to reckon with, and I hope that this study puts that on the um, on the agenda for, for our government and for the public. Those health teams should be able to, fingers crossed, be able to achieve some of these improvements? So I think there's some things that are very accessible, and then I think that there's some things that are going to be harder. So 
So hospitals or health teams right now can address some of the gaps that are identified in the study. Um, there are two examples I'm going to give you. So sort of the, the fourth highest gap that that the thing that was ranked fourth highest by patients was um, patients and family members being involved in discharge planning. And, um, you know, the fifth most important thing that was ranked related to once home having a number to call um, if there was a problem. So to me, those are actually very accessible things that a hospital can start to to, to to deal with. We already know that there are some hospitals that do a better job than others involving patients and caregivers in actually making a transition plan. Um, there's also a new standard um, that's been put out by the Ministry of the, um, Health, uh, Health Quality Ontario, now Ontario Health, has put out um, you know, a new quality standard that outlines how patients and caregivers should be ideally involved in that transitional period. Having a number to call, I think, again, that's something that's really within the purview of a hospital or an Ontario health team to, um, to improve. I think the harder part um, will be improving the home care services, uh, the amount and the timeliness. Um, and, you know, I think there have been... Uh, it, a number of different times in the last few years where we've tried to improve home care services. And I guess it's still, we still don't know whether this new attempt of integrating home care services within Ontario health teams will translate into better care on the ground for patients and caregivers. But I think many people are hopeful that it will. Dr. Tara Kieran, family physician and St. Michael's Hospital researcher. By the way, she led the study that's published in BMJ Quality and Safety, an offshoot of the British Medical Journal. That brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby's Nimer. Thanks for joining me, and be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Huddy. Christine Ross and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.